Welcome to another episode of Backlot Review, an official part of the Backlot Podcast Network. I am your host, Steven Saria, and I am once again joined by my co-host, John Kegg. John, what's up? It feels good to be back. (sighs) Took the words right out of my mouth, bro. Feels good to be back. And it took a special occasion to come back, because as you all know, you know, we've been stuck in, uh, in quarantine, so obviously... There's been uh, no theaters to go to. Not really uh, any worthwhile films coming out on streaming besides like Trolls, I think, is like the main one. Yeah. But none of the big theatrical releases have come to any streaming sites besides, you know, VOD and, and all that stuff. So we were kind of stuck like in a in a limbo sort of thing. Didn't really know you know, where we wanted to go with this quarantine until about a week ago, a little over a week ago now, um, I dove into a film series, which I had actually never seen before. And it just sort of felt right, you know, to come back and talk about not one not two, not three, but eight films from a. You're gonna keep going like LeBron when he came. Like to LeBron, I thought about it, but I was like, bro, I'm not gonna say that eight times. <laughs> 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 to talk about a beloved film series, which I had just watched for the first time, and that is Harry Potter. That is correct. I have never seen. A Harry Potter film until about a week and a half ago. I mean, I've seen bits and pieces of different ones. I've seen bits and pieces of the first and second movie. Um, I've also seen parts of the eighth movie and final one, which, you know, kind of sucks. And I grew up, obviously, when Harry Potter was still coming out. I think the last Harry Potter book came out in. 2007 so i remember i remember obviously you know the craze of you know deathly hollows coming out and all that stuff so the ending you know had already been spoiled to me i remember when uh i believe it was order the phoenix half-blood prince and deathly hollows like the book like when the books came out i was i would pull up to barnes and noble either the midnight premiere or like the morning of with my cousin Jill, who was like, you know, like she would read like every Harry Potter book the night they came out. Like, yeah, because because we know you don't read. Binge it. Yeah, no, no, I don't even know how to. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but uh, I, I remember going to all those premieres, like, and then I started going to all the movie premieres. I mean, I've been going to every Harry Potter movie. Like, I've seen every single one in movie theaters. Like, I remember going to the first one. My mom took me. Um, when the first one came out, like two thousand one. Two thousand and one. Damn, so I was like in first grade. Um, 
but yeah, man, it's 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 been a wild ride. I mean, I'm actually I can't I really can't believe that the last movie came out in like 2012, right? 2011. Yep. That's that's a while, man. So, Nine years. Yeah, dude. I remember actually when it was coming out. I remember seeing There's a lot of hype. Yeah, I remember seeing trailers for it. I remember seeing posters. Uh, I remember just the hype around the film in general about it. I think I was in eighth grade when that film came out. And there was like a huge hype around this, bro. Like humongous. I had a, I personally had a lot of friends in middle school who loved the Harry Potter series. And like, you know, I now that I watch it, you know, I can 100% see why. But as I was growing up, it's hard to say why I never watched it because I mean I'm a, as you know I'm a huge fan of you know Star Wars and Lord of the Rings well, and yeah. anything in that sort of All fantasy, fantasy genre. aspects yeah yeah I love Game I love Thrones. that that sort of What's genre that? Wait, what is that I don't know oh the book yeah yeah um so I you know I can't really quite put my finger on why Harry Potter in general never really you know, I never really gave it, you know, the attention that I gave other sort of fantasy um, titles, you know. It's weird. I can't really say why. You know, it's but... weird. I have a friend, Josh, that he, uh, like, you know, growing up, middle school, high school, and all that stuff, like, he'd always, like, roast me for being such a huge Harry Potter fan, you know, going to the movies. And I, I, I didn't read all the books. I, th- I read up to Goblet of Fire. Um,. But, you know, he was just, like, he'd always, like, roast you, like, oh, man, I can't believe you like that shit. And then, like, one day, like, like you did, just sat down and fucking binge-watched all of them. And it was like, bro, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like, he literally told me, he's like, I, like these are, like, the best movies ever. <laughs> I'm like, dude, there's, there's some fucking good movies. Like, they're really good. So, when I finished the eighth movie, I think I watched, I think I finished it, like, two days ago. But I wanted to let them simmer before we went ahead and recorded this podcast because I really wanted my opinion on them to form. And once, like while I was, you know, during this waiting period, I kind of thought about how I was going to tackle this episode. You know, I could go, you know, film by film talking about, you know, each one and, you know, what I liked and what I didn't like and, you know, whatnot. Or I could just go ahead and say, you know, what I liked in general from the series. Um, Just give like a quick little summary. But I just feel like as a whole, the franchise is surprisingly strong. And I say surprisingly because I know that when this came out, I think Hunger Games, the first Hunger Games came out i think the year after yeah oh uh, deathly hallows part two or maybe two years after and i think they wanted to get that harry potter hype you know what i mean get oh, that absolutely. fan base that, that, from harry potter absolutely and, and, over. You, and you can definitely see the similarities between deathly hallows part one and two and hunger games in their tone and atmosphere where you know like the bad reputation that young adult novel film adaptations you know carry now i mean mm-hmm. you have the, twilight when hunger games came out it was pretty fresh but i wouldn't even say twilight because twilight <laughs> twilight sort of captured it 
you know, sort of like in this, I don't want to say spirit of the books, but it was like lightning in a bottle. Yeah. You know, the Twilight films aren't good by any means, but especially nowadays, people are sort of coming around on it sort of ironically, like how the how the Star Wars prequels have sort of come around in popular culture now, because the people, you know, growing up watching Twilight. Hashtag prequel memes. Hashtag our prequel memes. Oh, yeah, our people memes, yep. Um, the people who grew up watching Twilight as kids because they read the books, you know, they obviously loved it. And then, you know, they went through that phase when they're like, oh, yeah, this is, like, that was garbage. But I think now they're hitting that phase where they can look at it as memes. And through those memes, you get enjoyment from it. Yeah, because I think totally. that's, how the, that's how the majority of people, you know, watch have Star you, Wars prequels. Have you seen the Twilight series? Uh, no, I have not. I've seen bits and pieces of it, but never like, sat seen... down and watched the whole thing. So, when the first movie came out, I, I read the first Twilight book in middle school. Um, Did you really? Yeah, because we had this thing called, uh, I think it was called Reading Counts. So, pretty much what that is, is for our language arts class, or maybe it was a reading class in middle school. I don't know what class it was. Um, we had to do this thing called Reading Counts, where you had to read a certain amount of books a semester or a quarter. And you had to take quizzes on them on this on this uh, program on the computers, and oh, it had yeah. tons of we books. We had a we had that called a, a AR accelerated reading. Yeah, ours was called reading counts, but like you had to take the, like the quizzes. So I remember taking the quizzes for like the last few Harry Potter books that I didn't read, and I remember being like so frustrated because they were asking questions like because I I had seen the movies. It's like I think like pretend like you know Half Blood or, or or Order of the Phoenix right like I saw the movie but I didn't read the book I would take the quiz on it but the quiz had nothing to do with Bro, the movie people like used they to would do that make all the sure time and it always used to fuck them yeah so I anyways um I ended up reading Twilight for that reading counts thing because it was like like you had to like reach like sixty points right and Twilight was like forty five so I was like that's a big ass this. book too yeah it is it's huge so I was like I can knock this out you know like and read like another trash book and i'll be fine so i read the entire book I, I actually didn't hate it i thought it was a pretty decent book um but i'm also like in seventh grade at the time um but anyways i read the book i saw the movie i was like not hyped to see the movie but i was like excited because i'm like okay i want to see how they like adapt <laughs> you for sure this. got opening day tickets you waited in line <laughs> i don't even remember maybe I, I probably did um but dude like the funniest thing like i remember just like cringing so hard and i don't know if you've seen this scene but there's a scene in Twilight where they're playing baseball. <laughs> I have seen have that you, scene. The vampire scene, bro. But the, I, what I love about that scene, though, is like it's super cringy. But like everyone and like all the Twilight fan bases and like the people that hate the books and love the books and hate the movies or love the movies, like they've all like come together to like really like just make that entire scene a meme. I feel it like that's like the of, first like meme of that entire series, and like now it's just growing. It reminds me a lot of the. The you know the movie Catwoman Halle Berry yeah you know the scene where she's playing basketball yes, there, yes. it reminds me a lot of that scene and the it's way very that, similar like, to um, Daredevil too the playground Daredevil. scene oh yeah you're right <laughs> dude I think that Catwoman scene has to be that Catwoman scene is arguably you can argue that it's probably one of the worst scenes in like a big I don't want to say blockbuster but in like a major title. In the last, I don't know, twenty years. How long has it been since Catwoman came out? Probably oh, 15, whatever. That's that's, years, yeah. that's that's besides the point. 
So I'm going to go ahead and go one by one really quickly and give my general thoughts on each movie before I go ahead and give my general thoughts on the series. So obviously I started with uh, Harry Potter and the, and the Philosopher's Stone. We're going to go we're ahead and call we're it... We're in America, bro. The, <laughs> Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. We're going to go ahead and call it by its uh, rightful name. And I'm sure as most of you have probably seen this so i'm not really going to go ahead and give synopsises of the whole movie but i was actually pleasantly surprised by this movie and i say that because i sort of thought that this movie would look really dated in its special effects Mm -hmm. you know it being a film that came out in 2001 revolving around wizards and and whatnot and you know there being magic it's pretty easy to make that stuff look dated also the fact that it was directed by chris columbus who directed uh percy jackson and the lightning thief and pixels home alone right yes he also did home alone i think he did mrs doubtfire so i you know he's he's got some hits and misses yeah he's got some hits and misses more recent misses though but, but I, yeah, I mean, he had he had Home Alone on his resume, and for him to start off this franchise, like I think that was like the perfect person to go with, especially someone that's worked well with kid actors. Yeah. So I was expecting this movie to be a little dated. You know, I was expecting to roll my eyes a lot and be like, "Oh, the special effects don't really look great." And I was, I'm sort of familiar with the story in general of harry potter you know some of the story beats but you know i'm watching these films completely non-biased i have no emotional attachment to any of these characters or the story or anything coming into this it was me just going in blind i know sort of you know who voldemort is um his relationship with harry potter obviously i knew the big snape twist because obviously that was ruined for me like a long time ago. It was just part of you know, you know the culture. I had that really was, yeah. That twist was one of the, those things where like you know like Infinity War's ending kind of thing. Like where it was like all over social media and shit like that. Yeah. So like I what I really I really only knew about Harry Potter, uh, what I had learned you know from culture at the time. What was in the pop culture? What was being talked about? So I knew some of the main you know, reveals and whatnot, but I didn't know the details of the story or anything like that. So I went into Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone expecting, you know, some dated special effects and stuff, a little bit of campiness. And I left this movie pleasantly surprised. And looking back on it, I would have to say that this is probably my second favorite movie in the series huh. after watching all eight I, I have i think this would probably be in my number two slot i think it hits just that perfect tone like yeah yeah like in its tone but i think it's on the knife's edge of being too campy but not and not being campy yet. enough and it's just right on that edge you know yeah. it, it just it just captures it perfectly you capture you the feeling of Harry going into Hogwarts. You know, the feeling of Harry being 
shown this huge world that obviously you know he never knew existed and it captures this sort of innocence and nativity really well um i think all of the characters especially the child actors were surprisingly well acted you know in a, a lot of movies like this a lot of the child actors can be really you know tough to watch because you know they're really not great yeah they're um, not groomed yeah yeah exactly like you know you know it's usually like their first or second you know acting gig so they're not really you know used to it yet and whatnot uh, but I thought, you know, the main three, especially the core three, Daniel Radcliffe, uh, Rupert Grin, and Emma Watson, I think were all really solid. I think they all do a great job of really capturing their characters and the essence of their characters, at least in this first film. Um, I was a big fan of Robbie Coltrane as Hagrid. He's so um, good. Yeah, he, he was great. Uh, Richard Harris as Dumbledore and Tom Felton as Draco. Um... I, oh, and I obviously knew, like, who Draco was and, and whatnot. And I could 100% see why people would be nostalgic, especially to this film. This one more than all of the other ones. I feel like people who grew up watching and reading Harry Potter look back at this one and maybe the second one um, a little bit more fondly, you know? Sort of like the same way that Star Wars fans growing up in the 70s look back at A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back with sort of like a different lens. I could definitely see why people would look at Philosopher's Stone and Chamber of Secrets, you know, through that same lens. Yeah. Um, I think Hogwarts as a whole is really well depicted in this. Um, I, I thought it was perfect. Yeah, and again, this is coming. This is from someone, you know, who, who I had read the first three books, but it was a little while ago, so I forgot pretty much like almost everything that happened um I thought Hogwarts was really well depicted I was surprised to see that while some of it may have aged a little poorly I think the use of a lot of practical effects in this really help it sort of like how they like how they balanced it in Lord of the Rings where yeah Gollum was obviously you know a CGI creature which still looks really good they don't really have much of that in this in Philosopher's Stone. Like the goblins were all you know practical effects. The troll is the troll in this one, or is the or is the troll? Yeah, in the that second? was in that was in this one. Okay, the troll doesn't look terrible, actually. You know, um, for being two thousand one, it looked good. Yeah, yeah, for being two thousand one, it looked it looked great. You know, if if you're watching this in two thousand one and you see that pop up, you're like, damn, like this That's this real. is where we are. This is. You know, look at where technology is and all that. Um, the movie in general just sort of has this fuzzy feeling to it. It's hard to explain. It, it just it, feels... It just, I feel like it knows how to capture your imagination. It just... And it knows how to get you to a place where you, like, you, you feel like you're there with the characters. You feel like you're at Hogwarts. You're attending these classes. You're fighting off trolls. You know what I mean? It really does a great job of sucking you into this world and it feels mm, it's hard to explain but it feels warmer than the other films if that makes sense because i think it captures the childlike wonder in the way a lot of spielberg movies do 
like sort of like Jurassic Park and E.T., which doesn't surprise me because Steel, uh, Steven Spielberg was actually supposed to direct this movie. Um, I would actually love to see that version. The reason he dropped out actually was because uh, he wanted to Americanize the cast and all that stuff, and J.K. Rowling and the producer said, if you make this into a film, like the cast has to be British. That's my one... So he was kind of like... Uh, I'm happy they did that. He left. Yeah, I'm happy too. Well, I'm... I mean, I'm sure his his would have been great, but this yeah, is just let's it, keep this it, is let's ideal. Keep it close yeah, to the books. this is ideal. This is ideal. Um, but like I was saying, the film just has a sort of warm feeling to it, and I think it's because of this sort of childlike wonder that the film really manages to convey. Does a really great job of, like you said, making you feel like you're at Hogwarts, and the tone, the atmosphere of the movie never takes itself too seriously. And knows when to sort of lean back and have fun and show you the fun and unique aspects of this world. And sort of there's a lot of little cool world-building things like in, um, obviously, Diagon Alley was is a big eye-opening scene. You know, seeing Harry walk through all these stores and shops, getting his wand, um, going to uh, King's Cross Station... You know, it does a really great job of showing you glimpses of this bigger world. I don't think you see Hogsmeade in this yet. I think you see Hogsmeade first. That's in, in Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah, in Prisoner of Azkaban. But it does a great job of showing you, you know, just little glimpses of this this much bigger world. Of the magical um, universe. Yeah, you see, uh, obviously you see Gringotts here, but you don't really see much of it until i think literally like the last movie but you see gringotts you know you're sort of and part of it works so well is because you're kind of seeing this like how harry is seeing this this is his first time this is our time seeing it we have a narrator in hagrid telling us hey this is what this is this is what this is and i think it works so well because of that and then you get to hogwarts and they did such a great job of making hogwarts really feel alive and that does that does doesn't go for you know this first film i think it really works for all of them i think yeah. every film really does a magnificent job of making hogwarts feel very lived in what i like too is how every filmmaker they've had like what maybe three four directors throughout the entire series um each director, I feel like, brings something new to the table, and they like. I feel like they change like just a little bit of you know little slight details of Hogwarts, but I feel like it makes it better. Does that make sense? Like, like I don't know if you noticed. Um, I mean, we're kind of like going a little bit forward, but uh, the painting to get into the uh, Gryffindor house is she's in the first movie. I forgot her name, um, but she's completely different than how she is in maybe what movie was it order of the phoenix or maybe goblet of fire well i think hogwarts changes the most in prisoner of azkaban which i was gonna yeah yeah to. because that but that's just like a whole tonal change for the entire like franchise um but like yeah like there's just a lot of different changes that like a lot of these directors bring to the table but like i feel like it makes it better and better and gets you like it gets it just becomes more believable you know what I mean? Like, as crazy as it sounds, we're talking about a fantasy world where guys are doing spells with their wands. Mm -hmm. um, 
But I don't know, man. It's just it's a fun it's a fun movie. The first one is 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 awesome. Like the world building that they do is is fantastic. It's 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 some of the best world building in in film. Mm-hmm. Um. So I really like Philosopher's Stone. I want to go ahead and move on. So now it's going to be like thirty minutes just talking about <laughs> each film. I'm trying to convey my thoughts like as quickly. Well, as the first possible. one's the most important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So moving on for Philosopher's Stone, you have Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, which I also really liked, and for many of the same reasons why I liked Philosopher's Stone. Again, and most, well, the main reason is because of just how sort of warm and fuzzy Hogwarts feels. For some reason, it's like innocent. It's it is. It's it, it's like a there's like a childlike innocence you know, to these two films. Yeah. <laughs> that I really... It's hard to compare them to another one, to another film. Maybe A New Hope. But even then, this feels more... I, I don't know how you can compare it. This feels more welcoming than yeah. than A New Hope. Just because, And I think that's because of Hogwarts and these characters. It just does a great job of really getting you invested in these characters. And... Like one of the main thing, like one of the main examples is the season, the changing seasons throughout the first two films in general. Like in specific, those two films, the first two, love it. You know, changing, going from fall to winter and all that stuff just feels more real. It doesn't feel you know rushed saying? at all for for going through a you know a nine month period within a two hour film. It, it like lit- it feels natural. It you does. You know what I'm saying? Like an hour into it, you're in you're in Christmas time, and you're like, "Oh shit, let's go!" Like, and then you know, 40 minutes later, it's just, it's almost summer. <laughs> but like everything just flows, man. That they, they do such a great job in those. I mean, all of them do that really well, but especially the first two. Yeah. Um. And you know, during winter, especially, there's just something about Hogwarts in winter and the way it's conveyed in these first two films as being a place of sort of refuge for kids like Harry who, you know, just don't want to go back home to their lives. And I think the film works in a similar way. It's, it, it just does such a great job of getting you so invested, and the films really do feel like a second home for viewers. I can't imagine having watched these movies as a kid growing up with them, because watching them now... I think the nostalgia would be just on another level watching the first two films. They're just there's just something about them that's magical, no pun intended. That's just magical about them that just does a great job of pulling you into this world that the rest of the movies don't really capture. And obviously like I can understand why you know there's the whole thing that you know Harry's growing up and all that stuff so the world becomes less innocent and less colorful and but I don't know, I don't really I don't really buy that because after Prisoner of Azkaban, I feel like the films sort of fail to capture the magic of Harry Potter, like what makes Harry Potter Harry Potter that the first three films do. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah, I do. I, I mean, I I see it. I just, they, they it gets complicated. I feel like there's so much story at that point where they can't focus on the little things anymore. I mean, they can do the little things, but they can't focus on it like they did the first two movies. Now it's like, you know, we have a 600-page book that we have to convey to you or, tr- you know, transmit to you guys within two hours. You get what I'm saying? 
mm-hmm. and they can't do all those little things that made us like you know go ooh and it's it's hard but i i do get what you're saying but i, I at the end of the day i think i think like what you said earlier is correct like it's harry growing up and the world becoming more real and more or less innocent makes like just makes a big change in these films and it's i think it's a much needed change i mean i can sort of see it like i'm not against it i'm not for it i just sort of wish that the last six movies or the last five movies just captured the same sort of magic that the first two did i'm not saying i didn't like them or anything it's just there's just something in those last five films and you can even sort of argue azkaban with it there's just something missing. And I think that something is evident in Philosopher's Stone and Chamber of Secrets. I see it. It's 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 difficult to explain. And again, you know, Chamber of Secrets actually does a pretty decent job of expanding the world and uh, bringing forth like a lot of, you know, big sort of characters and plot events, starts setting them in motion. Like, this is when uh, Voldemort's, you know, real name is dropped with Tom Riddle. And I think the first time you technically see Voldemort, you don't see Ralph Fiennes as Voldemort, but you see Tom Riddle. Um, it introduces Lucius Malfoy. Um, introduces Dobby. Dobby. Yeah, of course, Dobby. Moaning Myrtle is kind of annoying, but... Ginny, Ginny's a big play in this movie. Ginny is a big part in this. It sort of, you know, sets her up as not a main character... But an important one. But sort of, and not a secondary, but maybe like an important tertiary character. Um, it introduces, you know, the sort of divide between Lucius Malfoy and Ron's dad, and how you could definitely see. I don't know if they I named love, up the I ministry. I love that banter in the beginning of that movie. Yeah, with, uh, with Ron's dad, and, and I don't think they uh, named dropped the ministry, but you could sort of see. Okay, if these guys work together. There's a big ideological difference. Yes, you know, yes. in this, in the place that they work at, which and they obviously do such comes a great into great job with that. Yeah, yeah, and obviously, you know, that comes into play later. So that's Chamber of Secrets, which I'm also a really, I'm a really big fan of. I would I probably love say, of Secrets. I would say it's either my third or fourth favorite. I think I, I, ch- I would, I would have to sit here and think about it, but I think I, I'm pretty sure I like Chamber of Secrets more than Sorcerer's Stone. I feel like Sorcerer's Stone. All of them are great movies, um, but I feel like Sorcerer's Stone is a little too childish for me, and I just have a hard time rewatching it compared to the rest. Like the second one, I could rewatch a million times. The first one, not so much. I think it's too innocent. Does that make sense? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe knowing how these stories progress, it's harder for me to watch it because I like the 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 darker tones that these films start, you know, running into. Um, but I, I do love me some Chamber of Secrets, man. Like, all, all the mystery behind, you know, the voice that Harry keeps hearing and him speaking to snakes and all that shit. I, I love that mystery mystery aspect of that, of that entire film because it's like a detective story. Like, they're trying to figure this out. Like, dude, how, why is Harry doing this? Well, how can he hear this? How can he talk to snakes? Does it lead to Voldemort? Like... That's what I love about the entire second film. It's it's like a detective film, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And um, really quick, I also love just how bad Draco is at being a bully. 
<laughs> like, bro, I think he, he does a better the, job in Prisoner of Azkaban. Like, dude, he is the worst bully ever, bro. <laughs> so cringe. <laughs> um, so whatever. We moving on to Prisoner of Azkaban. I'm probably gonna say, and that this is to no surprise, you know, for anyone. This is, in my opinion, the best Harry Potter film. I think this film captures the essence of Harry Potter better than any of the other ones do while progressing the series in a more mature direction. I think what Quaron did in Prisoner of Azkaban specifically is felt throughout the rest of the series, most notably in the way the magic is used and represented in the world. The tone of the series moving forward and its atmosphere but i think while introducing all of these super influential aspects and yeah new elements to the series i think quaron's directing is the best you know directing job in the series obviously totally agree and i think he does such a great job of capturing the magic of the world of Harry Potter and like I said before n- leading it towards a new mature direction yeah I think he was the perfect choice to you know these kids are like what 13 14 in this movie now so it's it's they're growing up a little bit they yeah. had to they had to make that change like I think Chris Columbus was signed on to do the third one and I think somewhere along the you know pre-production they uh I, so there was something where Chris Columbus didn't agree with what they wanted to do. I think they were trying to make the movies a little tad bit darker. And mm-hmm. I don't think Chris Columbus agreed with that. So I think they just cut ties with him completely and were like, all right, bring in someone else. And they, they I feel like they brought in the perfect person. Oh, absolutely. What Corone did for this franchise is, is incredible. It really does set the tone for the future Harry Potter what films. I think, what I think Prisoner of Azkaban does well, too, is... I feel like there's a lot of adults and parents, especially like when I was a kid watching these movies that like, you know, they, they, they would watch the first two with me, like take me to like, you know, my parents, for example, would take me to the theater. They didn't really care. They're like, yeah, these are some childish movies. I think the third one is like where it starts to become a movie like for like everyone because it's dark enough where, you know, that's how it sounds like so like bad when I say like it's dark enough for like anybody to like it, but you know what I mean? It, like older people have a hard time watching kids' movies. Let's just be honest. That's just how it is. Um, but I feel like Prisoner of Azkaban is like a movie that starts like that sort of starts the franchise for like opening up the doors for everybody to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, like like I I have like my like my aunt for example, like she hated the first two movies. Prisoner of Azkaban comes out, she was like, "Damn, that shit's that was amazing. Like, what, that's a great movie." And from then on, she loved all the movies. So. I feel like it's it's that tonal shift really helped a lot. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think this is when the Harry, Hermione, Ron friendship also, at least for me, uh, really started to come together. And I think there's a lot of cool moments between just the three of them that I wish the later films had. I feel like the later films don't really have, you know, just Harry, Ron, and Hermione just sort of hanging out yes. as much as the first three films do. And I really wish... That they did. I, I, Deathly Hallows Part 1 and Part 2 have a few of those moments, which I really appreciated. 
But the thing with Deathly Hallows Part 1 is, like, you have that entire scene where, I mean, spoiler alert, if you're listening to this, and Jesus, um, where Ron, you know, goes off for, like, 45 minutes of the entire movie. He's off by himself. You don't even see him. You remember that? Yeah. So we'll get to that. You, you, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, like that's what, like, pissed me off about that, because I, I totally agree with what you're saying. As you're, I, I liked the banter between the three. You know what I mean. I I love when they're all three together, and you finally start to get that in that movie, and then boom, Ron disappears, and then I'm like, shit, like you know, I miss all that stuff because mm-hmm. that's really brings you back to the first three mi- films. Yeah. Um, I I also really like this film because, you know, obviously the story of Harry Potter is you know Harry and Voldemort. And, you know, the ongoing battle and how the two are connected. But I really like how this film feels much more contained and, like, feels like its own little story. You know, with Sirius Black and the Grimm and the Dementors, which are badass, by the way. I love the way the Dementors were so good. Were depicted in this film. They were actually, like, pretty That's frightening. Scary, dude. Yeah, they're actually... They're scary. Like, I could definitely imagine kids being legitimately scared of... Of the Dementors in this. I think, like, literally, like, my two favorite scenes in the movie are both scenes with the Dementors. The one where the you, the first time you see it on the train, that, mm-hmm. dude, that, like, that entire, like, scene turned into, like, a horror film. That's a great scene. It's such a fantastic scene where the Dementors' hand is, like, opening the door and whatever, you know what I mean? Like, and then he just, you hear Harry's mom screaming, like, oh, my God, it's so creepy. And yeah. my second favorite scene in that movie is the uh, Quidditch match. Uh, I, th- yep. that, that entire scene I thought was so well done. The raining, and then he's just flying into the fog. He sees the uh, the wolf or whatever, like, sh- cloud. And then the Dementors start attacking him. Like, like bro, ev- like the Dementors are so, so fucking good in this movie. Agreed. Like, he does such a great job. Um... Like I was saying, I like how, you know, self-contained this movie feels while also further opening up the world. You know, we learn Mm -hmm. what Azkaban is. We learn who Sirius Black is and the implications that has on Harry. We learn how, you know, Voldemort really did learn about James and Lily Potter. This is the first time we go to Hogsmeade. Yes. So while it being its own self-contained story, it really does a great job of opening up the world further and showing us glimpses of, of you know, what's to come. I just, I just, I just really, I love this movie. <laughs> I actually want to go watch it again now that I'm watching. I'm it. actually like considering watching it before I go to sleep. I actually want to go ahead and just load the disc in and just watch it again. Quaron so just does a great job of just meshing together the the fun and and the action and the drama and the adventure elements it's a such a tight you know runtime i wouldn't say tight runtime because all of these are over two hours long but i feel like this is definitely the one that feels i don't want to say fastest but it definitely has like the best pacing to it so that's prisoner basketball probably my was probably my favorite harry potter film so then we move on to Goblet of Fire, and this is when you definitely start to see the tonal change in the films. You definitely start to see the maturing characters, um, the maturing tone, and the maturing atmosphere. 
um, which I sort of still have mixed feelings about. I understand the need for it, and it sort of does work, but, you know, I just wish they captured the essence of Harry Potter like Prisoner of Azkaban did. So, Goblet of Fire was actually the first Harry Potter movie that, while watching, I thought to myself, you know what, this feels long. Like, this definitely could be a little shorter. Like, you could probably I feel like trim there's a off lot like 15 of story minutes. in this movie. There's, I think this movie, Order of the Phoenix, and obviously Deathly Hallows are like the three movies that have so much story in them that, like, I don't know what you can trim out, like, cut out that's not important. I mean, I guess, but that's what happens when you turn such big books into films. It's impossible to get. I know. I mean, you could do part ones and part twos, but then we'd have a 16-film series. Like, like I was actually thinking while watching these films, I think Harry Potter, uh, well, the story of Harry Potter would be much better told through a TV series than oh a film God, series. Yes. You know, have one season dedicated to each book. And yes. I think that gives an, um, just the, the, a perfect amount of time to flesh out the world and get the story across as book accurate as possible. Sort of like how um, Game of Thrones did it. What's that? I don't know. We should make a TV show about the Game of Thrones book, though. I'd be bound to write a script. So, and I forgot to mention this while talking about Prisoner of Azkaban, but mm-hmm. Prisoner of Azkaban is when the actor for Dumbledore switches because Richard Harris passed during the two films. And I remember texting you how I felt about that. I, per- I liked Richard Harris's depiction of Dumbledore more, but once I got to the eighth film, I realized that I think Gambin, Michael Gambin, who was the second actor of Dumbledore, does a great job of playing Dumbledore the chess master instead of Dumbledore, you know, the wise wizard that he is in the first two films. You know, he's much more involved in the plot. And I just don't see Richard Harris, as great an actor as he is, you know, really having the same sort of impact that Gambit especially had at with that the age. character. Yeah, especially at that age. Like, maybe, you know, 10 years younger, 15 years younger, probably yeah. could do it. Yeah. But, yeah, I see what you're saying. Definitely. So, uh, like I was saying about Goblet of Fire, this is definitely the first movie that actually feels like we're getting to the meat of the story. You know, the center of why we're watching Harry Potter. You know, the center of this conflict in the wizarding world, which is Harry and Voldemort. You know, Voldemort is coming back. We know that. But this is the film where, you know, shit hits the fan. This is the first film you see Ralph Fiennes as Voldemort, who I thought in his limited screen time was absolutely wonderful. And I think it's one of my favorite scenes in in the series. That scene with Harry in the graveyard and Voldemort sort of taunting him. I think the entire third, you know, what do they call them? The task or challenge? The Triwizard Tournament challenge? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's like the three t- challenges, like the third one, like, like the, the, the maze. As soon as the maze starts to like the end of the film, I think is is so well done. I'm iffy on all the challenges stuff. Like, I feel like each challenge went, went on a little too long. Except for the first one. I actually like the first the, one. I love the first one. The That's dragon. my favorite one. So um, good. So good. Because the thing is, the first one, they don't even show you, like, you know, that would, this movie would become a four-hour movie. They show Victor Crumb and, 
and everybody else's, uh, you know, the how they accomplish the challenge, which I think the book goes in more into detail of. But we don't need to see that in the movie. Like, we just need to see Harry's mm-hmm. and how he overcomes it. Um, I think while that is really well done, I guess you could kind of shorten that a little bit. I mean, you know, him flying the broom all the way to the castle and trying to climb it and that could have maybe been trimmed down a few minutes to shorten the movie a bit right mm, i don't think so actually i think actually that's probably the challenge that i think it's the strongest i wouldn't say well yeah definitely the strongest i love I also, that challenge. i also think it's, it's so the one fun. that's the best the, the best represented Mm-hmm. Um, that one and the second one, because the second challenge is actually very important for Harry as a character, you know, totally. showing you know his selflessness and and whatnot. I think um, Harry has a lot of growth, character development, you could say, in that oh, challenge. Absolutely. In that challenge, and and especially towards the end of the film, um, during that graveyard scene when he like Voldemort is taunting him and you know telling him yo let's fight, and then Harry just <laughs> jumps out like in front of like six dead. Bro, but that's like, a, that scene like, was so hype. Oh yeah, he, definitely. Like he's all like, he, like he, you can like see his like inside. Like that's great acting, by the way. Like, a pl- like Daniel Radcliffe does a great job as Harry. Oh um, yeah. But that entire scene where like you could tell he's like scared, and then like he's getting taunted by fucking Voldemort, and then he's just kind of like gets like this angry face on. He's like, you know what, bro? Fuck it, let's get it on. And I'm he's like, like he's oh. like, bro, you're fucking annoying. Let's fight already, bro. Fuck uh, it. Yo, you want to fight? Bro. Let's just fight. <laughs> so that's then, a great um, scene. Oh yeah, it's again. It's one of my favorite scenes in Harry Potter, um, but I think the biggest complaint I have about this film is how much of a tease the Quidditch World Cup was. Oh my because, god, I bro, know. We've I seen. Know. There's been at least one Quidditch match in the Every previous three films. In the first, second, and third, there's been at least one Quidditch match. This one, which had been hyped up for literally the first like. 15 minutes of the movie and then when we finally get to it it just cuts to ron and and the other weasley just celebrating sort of talking about <laughs> also yeah the okay match was, and we're like okay all right <laughs> i us, wish i could have seen it us discussing how this movie was felt a little long i would have been totally okay had they shown that because yeah the, yeah dude, I think the quidditch so. scenes like are some of the best like scenes in these films that like take like they stray away from the plot, kind of, um, but like I just like they're like it's just like world building those like all those scenes like where you just it's it's like you're in awe of what these guys are doing and this you know magical world of how this is how they play sports. So I don't know if it's like the sports fan in me that like that really enjoys that, but <laughs> that shit's so fucking awesome, dude. Like, and I I really do wish they showed that. Um, so like, this just came to my mind, so I want to ask you this. I, you probably didn't, but did you ever play the Harry Potter Quidditch World Cup game that came out like in, for the PS2? No, I did not. Bro, that's one Fire? of the best. Ga- bro, one of the best games like I've ever played. Stream it, <laughs> dude. I, I honestly might. I honestly <laughs> might have to stream it. It's you literally can pick like you know they have like maybe like fifteen different countries or something that you could pick. Um, but you know they have like USA, Belgium, England, blah blah blah. And you just have to, like, do a World Cup and f- try to make your way to the top. And, bro, the game is actually fire. Like, watch some YouTube footage. It's, what the it's hell? actually Yeah, so I'm actually going to YouTube that when we finish this. It's super off topic. But, yeah, that, that was a great game. 
Also, Lucius drops the hardest diss in the entire Harry Potter series to fucking uh, to Ron's dad during the the Quidditch match. What does he say? When <laughs> they're both like walking in and shit, and then they, he says something about the seats. And then he's like, "Oh, enjoy your seats. Uh, if it starts, at least if it starts to rain, you guys will be the first ones to know." Oh yeah. <laughs> and then the scene, like like the scene cuts, and they're sitting like literally the top aisle. And I remember watching that, and like when Lucius says that, I'm like, Jesus, this guy is a fucking dickhead. <laughs> no, yeah, he he roasts the shit out so, of him. It was so but savage. But honestly, like their seats weren't even bad. Like I feel like that for a Quidditch World Cup game, that's actually Dude, pretty good seats. Yeah, I, I I laughed at that. You know when Lucius said that. Like and I would then, think that like, you'd want to be at the top. Yeah, and then I literally told that to to Sydney, who I was watching these movies with. I turned to her, and I'm like, Wait, they're flying on brooms. Wouldn't you want to be like? Sort of like yeah. If you're on the seats. bottom, then you're the, you're the worst fucking. Animal. Yeah, that's actually ah. So like, Lucius actually kind of wrecked himself. Yeah, <laughs> an idiot. <laughs> um. So I like Goblet of Fire. I that's that's Goblet of Fire. While I do 100 percent think that Prisoner of Azkaban is the best directed film, and I totally like see everything like that's perfect with it. Goblet of Fire is my personal favorite. There's just something about that movie. I just love everything. The challenges, you know, even though we got, we didn't really get to dive into the Quidditch World Cup. I liked everything leading up to it and the aftermath of it. Um, I like Voldemort's introduction. That movie, like to me, is just like I, I can rewatch that movie a million times and have a blast. Also, I forgot that Robert Pattinson was in this film. So when he came, like when he Go. shows up on screen, I started cracking up because I, I would just think of the lighthouse. <laughs> um i also like how this film really raises the stakes in the harry potter universe with cedric's yes. death because yes. i think cedric's death when that happens you're sort of like wow you're kind of okay, in shock like, this is i wouldn't say shock but when he dies you're actually like okay this is serious because that's like, what i mean like you're he definitely could have been like... a player in this series that people have died in the movies, like in the previous three, but it wasn't like as serious. I, I can't really think say. of. I can't really think of Professor well, Quirrell like in the first one. If anything, Professor Quirrell in the first one. Um, that's really it. Yeah, actually, you're right. I guess this is like the first like legit death. But now, but now that while we're on this subject, I want to say that one one thing that I was pretty surprised by is how many main characters and central characters to the plot are actually killed off in this series i was not expecting that that was a big uh i remember leading up to the seventh book or the deathly hallows um i think jk rowling was like teasing that and she was like she's like look it, it hurts me as much as it hurts you guys like i'm sitting here writing this and and doubting myself but like she's like a lot of your favorite characters are gonna die like i like, was dude i was honestly really surprised by just how many like central character deaths there are like all right the, hold on i'm gonna you blow have your cedric, mind you have cedric diggory wait let me blow your mind real quick let me blow, your all mind right, blow my mind first blow my mind first bro we live in a world where harry potter had the balls to kill off more characters than game of thrones okay that's just not true okay last season last season last okay. season like, like like the last like okay the deathly hallows part two was like where we saw the most deaths and that's what I was expecting Game of Thrones last season to be, where Wait. like a ton of main characters would die. Last season of what? The uh, some some show that I made up in my head. 
oh, like if there was a show called Game of Thrones, that the last and some season, two terrible script writers got a hold of the franchise, then the last season wouldn't have any meaningful. Okay, I see what you're saying. Gotcha. Um, so just going down the list, I mean, you have Cedric Diggory, which is the first one where you're really like, okay, like uh, he gets like I, murdered in really, front of you. Yeah, he's. I think it, it's sort of like that shock value because it's just so fast, and you. This character realistically could be, you know, a secondary character in the films coming forward. But I mean, you have Cedric Diggory, um, uh, Dumbledore, obviously. Uh, Dobby is another one. Hedwig, Moody, uh, Fred Weasley, Snape. Those are just literally just ones off the top of my head. Those, those are seven, you know, central characters. You know, to uh, maybe not the plot, but definitely Harry Potter. Yeah, I and think it's, um, it's pretty surprising. Yeah, I think the books. If I if oh I Lupin and Sirius Black, it's nine. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Fucking um, Ron's a Ron's girlfriend that he has like in the sixth movie. She fucking dies in the last in the eighth one too. Does she? Yeah, dude, it's super quick. But um, like that little werewolf thing is like eating her, and then Hermione. Uh, oh my god! Like, yeah, yeah, you're that's, right. her. that's her. That's <laughs> her. Damn, dude, <laughs> he's. These stories are pretty fucking dark. There's there's more too, probably that. Oh, hundred percent. I'm, I'm sure if we Googled it. We, I mean, Hedwig is like one of the ones that like hurt me to watch. Really, um, I think uh, I'll get to that. I'll get to it. I'll get to. Yeah, that yeah, we'll get to that when we get to that movie. But um, no, totally. Like I like us seeing Cedric die like in front of our faces, literally get murdered changes everything going forward mm-hmm. with these movies 100%. like obviously like we're saying how these movies are getting darker and darker but like boom once that happens it's like well, no we're here like this this is serious now like pull the mords back mm-hmm. and then there's one part that made me laugh like at the end of the movie after cedric dies and they're all like sort of like grieve not grieving but it's like a really like like silent moment you could tell like you know the that mood is really like downtrodden you know, there's yeah. a lot of, like, sorrow and shit, and then fucking Hermione is like, will there ever be a quiet year at Hogwarts? <laughs> it's like, bro, <laughs> like, your, your boy just died. There's a like scene a, at the like end of the movie. Like, student just died. I think it's right before that, where Dumbledore and Harry are, are going back and forth in the uh, common room, and I forget what he says. I don't know if you remember, but I remember it being... Did like, you put your name in the goblet of fire? <laughs> The fucking most intense Dumbledore ever. That that scene really sticks. Says that, though, that scene really sticks out like as one of the poorly depicted scenes. Like that does not fit Dumbledore's character at all. And Dude, I know like, it's the like, book. The book literally says Dumbledore asked uh, calmly. <laughs> I didn't, dude. I didn't know that that was a meme. Yes. Until after I had watched the film, I didn't know that that was a meme. But I remember thinking, like you know, when that scene happens, it's like I don't think Dumbledore would react like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Goblet of Fire, good film. And then you get to Order the Phoenix. And from what I was told by John, was that Order the Phoenix, I think, was your least favorite, right? No, no, Half Blood Prince. Okay, Half Blood Prince. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, I like I like Order the Phoenix. Okay. I, I think I, you know the the villain aspect with Umbridge and everything is fantastic. I loved Order of the Phoenix. I would probably put it as my third favorite Harry Potter film behind Azkaban and Sorcerer's Stone, and it's probably competing with Philosopher's Stone for that second spot. 
I think this film, I, th- I think it's the movie that introduces Luna. Obviously, Professor Umbridge, who I love. I love Umbridge's character. She is so fucking evil and mean that it is downright funny how mean she is. Like, obviously, you hate her, but you sort of, at least me personally, I love to hate her sort of thing. Like, she's just so deliciously evil. Yeah. That every time she's on screen, I was just thinking, what can she do next to make me hate her even more? And then and she goes ahead and bro. she does that shit to Harry, like, ta- tattooing his, the fucking, oh my I will God, not tell lies that. on her hand. And I was I like, okay, that. I can't get, and, and then I remember, I was like, okay, I can't get worse than this. And then she, like, slaps him, and it's like, okay, I can't get worse than this. And then she, like, takes them to the to the Forbidden Forest, or they take her to the Forbidden for- Forest. And I sort of knew, I was like, okay, she's going to get her comeuppance here. <laughs> but she's just so, like, fucking needlessly mean. Like, it's just, like, sort of funny in a way. Yeah, props to um, I don't know how to pronounce her name, Emilda Stoughton, the one that plays Umbridge. Like that, like if Fantastic you can, performance. Yeah, if you can make a like, if you can make or depict this character and make the audience hate you, like not the actor, like like the character. If you can make the audience hate this particular character, you are a hell of an actor. And it, it actually reminds me going back to Game of Thrones, um, uh, Joffrey. Everyone hated Joffrey, and I'm like, sort that's of, some yeah. great acting. It's that's literally what it is. If if you can act that way and make us I hate you, like, I mean, obviously the right there's a lot of writing that comes into it, but she does a fantastic job of making mm-hmm. us hate her. Definitely. So I really like Umbridge in this film, um, and I like how some of the secondary characters are more fleshed out, like Luna and, in particular, Neville. And now that I bring up Neville's name, I'm surprised I haven't mentioned him earlier in the podcast. But if I had to say who my favorite characters were, I would probably put Neville firmly in that number two spot. I think Neville's character, even in the first, in the four movies prior to this, it's a little prevalent. But I think in this film, you see the core of Neville's character. And while he's a bit of a fuck up while he's a little bit clumsy and easy to make fun of and sort of scared when it comes down to it and when shit hits the fan, Neville is arguably the bravest person in the series. I would say maybe behind Harry Potter. Neville was quick to stand against the person who, you know, tortured his parents and all that. He was ready to get revenge. He was ready to throw hands. Um, that's, that's, that's character development right yeah, there. Obviously in the eighth film, you have him, you know, standing against Voldemort and taking a Godric Gryffindor sword. But this is really the film that really drives home, if you're paying attention, that there's more to Neville than meets the eye. There's a lot of hidden layers to Neville Longbottom that really shine in this film. And that is, at his core, his bravery. And in a way, I would say he's probably braver than maybe even harry because at least harry knows that you know he's the child of prophecy he is i don't want to say he knows he's destined to defeat him because obviously he has his doubts and whatnot um but But, i think he knows like you know like he's been told like he's been told by countless people 
throughout the series, you know, how great of a wizard he is, how great his parents were. Maybe he's a chosen one. How he's destined to be, you know, great, where Neville, really, on the other hand, (laughs) is always sort of made fun of, gets shit on. You know, Draco makes fun of his family. Yeah. Um, Moody, or well, what we thought was Moody, but was actually the Death Eater in the fourth film, pretending to be Moody, tortured like the snake in front of Neville, or I mean the spider in front of Neville. You know, because that was the same curse just, that killed his parents. Yeah, he's always just sort of getting shit on, but at the end of the day, Neville is always gonna you know stand against you know evil and Bellatrix and Voldemort. And that really stuck out to me in this film, really more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, no, not I think. This film has my favorite scene in, in the series, and that's the duel between Dumbledore and Voldemort. Yeah, I think fantastic. While the way the magic is depicted after Prisoner Baskerman is basically just yell a name and then a little bolt shoots out of your wand, it's kind of hit or miss sort of gets repetitive and it loses the creativity in the first two films whereas the magic you know felt like actual magic and this is sort of like point the stick and the laser will come out well how i remember it uh being depicted was the you have to say the spell and conjure it you know like by doing the hand movements and whatnot when you're a beginner once you're like an expert at these spells like it's like one of those things where you can like think it you don't even have to say it out loud that's why, like, like these are the like you know the two most powerful wizards ever. So like these guys are just throwing shit out left and right from their mind. Do you get what I'm saying? It's yeah, not like but... you have to really say the words out loud. No, and... no, no. It's not. It's not saying the words. It's it's the way that the magic is depicted visually. You okay. know, Expe- Expelliarmus is you know this little red beam. Um, Avada Kedavra is a, is a little red beam. A uh, stupefy just sort of pushes them back. But uh, what I really liked about uh, the fight between Dumbledore and Voldemort was that this scene really felt like two master wizards fighting each other with what magic with what at least I visualize what like two actual master wizard would look like when they're fighting not just Harry and Voldemort saying spell names and then little lightning bolts you know clashing into each other no it's Voldemort and Dumbledore sort of altering what's around them using their environment against the other the um, water and everything the, the water the fire taking different forms the glass, using the glass and turning into sand him. that yeah, i love like, that i love that sort of like sort of like how dr strange fights thanos in yeah. infinity war yep that's a great example so that while i did like that dumbledore and voldemort scene and i love it it's probably my one of my favorite scenes in in the franchise it sort of made me wish that the magic in the later movies was just depicted a little more creatively um however there is one as much as i liked order of the phoenix there is one scene that i strongly dislike and that is serious black's death Ooh, i think serious black for how important he is to harry as a character and how important he is to the story his death lasts literally three seconds i agree he gets they, they should make us feel it more he gets a, a Veda Cadavered. He die. He looks at Harry, dies. Harry chases after Bellatrix Lestrange, and it's not mentioned again for the rest of the film. Whereas when Cedric Diggory dies, who we've only seen for one film, we have a whole funeral. The whole fucking school is crying over him. Harry is torn up, which you know I can see he literally got killed right before him. 
but so did Sirius. And, and Sirius, Sirius is, is like his literal, closest yes. family member. Yeah, Sirius is like his godfather, like literally his last living family member. And it's just sort of, you know, glossed <clears throat> over. Yeah. You know, that left a bad taste in my mouth. That That is one of my bigger gripes that I have with the with the film and, and the franchise. You know, going I, on. I like that they killed him off. But yeah, I totally oh, see yeah, what you're yeah. saying. It should have been a scene where like, not we don't feel out, it, bro. We don't feel it. Like yeah, it, we don't the feel way... it. Like, give us, give us a good two minutes to three minutes to just like really be like, fuck, like, you know, Harry holding him or something, like, or, or Harry kind of like falls to his knees, like crying, like something where we're like, dude, like Sirius just fucking died. Like yeah, his... like you, you would think he would, he, he was like a like a tertiary character with the way Harry reacts when his godfather dies the one who yeah, he's kind of just asking like for help and starts doing magic at bellatrix and then boom here we go dumbledore versus uh voldemort yeah exactly so uh, that scene i wish was was done differently i think if that scene was just a little stronger i would say i would probably firmly put this as my number two uh favorite harry potter film but that's sort of what's keeping it back you know what actually uh before we continue um one scene that I love is the beginning, like the the everything before he gets to Hogwarts, um, with his cousin and and the Dementor and all that. I love all that. Oh yeah, yeah. I like forgot that that cousin, was in, in Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, like his cousin comes to like bully him, and then and he has, he the has trial to like save his life. That. I feel like mm-hmm. that was like, so okay. My my biggest script for these movies, um, and it, it goes back to what we were saying before. Like, there's so much story and content that you have to put in within two hours, um. That obviously you have to cut out a lot of story from the books. Like I wish we saw more of his aunt and uncle and his cousin. Um, really, I thought it was fine with with what we saw of them. They were pretty annoying. There's a lot, but there's a, it, it gets a lot deeper. And and I know there's deleted scenes for uh, Deathly Hallows Part One, but um, I think that was like in the books, and you kind of see it in the movie where that was like the start of where um, Dudley. That, that was his name, right? That was like. The start of Dudley like realizing like okay one my cousin is like overpowered like he's he's a powerful fucking guy two I think he gets like an appreciation for him but we don't see Dudley again after this yeah because there's a there's a deleted scene in part one where in the books and I think in the deleted scenes I think they dive into a little bit more Harry pretty much like tells them like you know like they have like their differences but Harry tells them was like look like you guys need to leave and you you have to hide like i'm, really? I'm gonna i yeah he tells them like i'm gonna say i'm trying to save your lives like and they come to like an understanding like okay like like oh, they that's why they leave in part one okay okay that's why they're not there yeah he, he okay. literally tells them like you guys need to leave and then he shares a moment with dudley where like i think the, like dudley just says like you know like thank you for being there like something like that like where they have like a like a bonding moment that i'm like damn like i, I really wish that was in the final cut i wish that they like kind of dove into that a little more um because it's 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 like it's all character development i want to see how these you know asshole family you know i'm not saying like i don't want them to be good like goody two shoes at the end of, the, of this franchise but i want them to like realize like okay you know what harry wasn't all that bad harry's you know trying to save our lives he's trying to like let's get a little bit more of appreciation for him i wish they kind of showed that just a little more i can see that for me personally i didn't really mind them not really being depicted more just because the story wasn't really about them that they were just there to show that the lack of maybe immediate family around harry and the way you know 
the way that you know his upbringing he was he thought he was brought up with how people loving him and you know whatnot that's really what their purpose was so i don't really care to see them you know again in later films like that them getting you know close or whatever but um i think i, I, I see where I, you're coming I, from i think i think um i don't know if jk rowling said it or if it was at the end of deathly hallows but um it, it said somewhere that Dudley and Harry do form a relationship after the events of of the movies, um, you know, like as they get older. And I think there was it was like something where like like their kids, uh, Dudley's kids and Harry's kids, you know, kind of like not grew up together, but like were like close. You know what I mean? Like how you probably are with your cousins, like same relationship like that. And there was like no hard feelings between the two. So I kind of okay. like that, knowing that in the back of my head, like okay, like you know they fixed it. Okay. I, I don't know. I just there's something with that family aspect of Harry's life that I like. I, I guess like I, I you really feel bad for him. So knowing that th- these relationships can get mended is like it, it feels good to me. I guess. I, I mean, I don't know. For me, he found his new family. So so like I don't really care about you know the ones that I hear you care for him. But yeah, I guess I it's a, a personal preference. So that's Order of the Phoenix. And we move on to Half Blood Prince, which I know you said was your least favorite. And, you know, I, honestly, I liked it. At this point in time, it was probably the weakest of the series. However, it's still, you know, a good movie. It's definitely a lot of plot development and a lot of exposition. Setup. Yeah, definitely a lot of setup for... That's what I. That's my biggest gripe with it. I feel like... It's a setup movie. Yeah, the, the last 30 minutes are extremely important in this movie, but... The entire, you know, hour and 45 minutes, uh, first 40, uh, hour and 45 minutes of the movie is it's 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 all plot, like you said, which I get it that's super important, but it is a setup movie. And it's like it's setting up everything for the last two movies slash last book. And that's the only thing I'm like iffy about where I'm like, damn, like I wish there was more that could have been. Oh, 100 percent. That's on. valid. That's valid. You know, it's it's film that doesn't. I think this is the one that stands up the least if you're just rewatching it on its own because it's setting up, you know, the last two movies. I think if you're binging all of them, it's, it's perfectly fine. Yeah, totally. But it's like it's, it's like, like watching like a filler episode for a TV show. Yeah, or, yeah, or just binging a TV show. You know, some TV shows just have episodes that just set up future episodes. But for film, it's different because you're devoting, you know, two plus hours of your time to this. Um, what I what I don't like about this movie is the whole, this like I think I texted you about the Zack Snyder, uh, like oh, filter. the Zack Snyder filter on it. Yeah, yeah. I was I, I was actually gonna say that all, all five, six, seven, and eight all have it, but this one has it the most. Yes, the scene where um, Harry and Dumbledore like are in the cave, especially it's so hard to watch. Prevalent. Like not it's hard so, to watch, but hard to see. It's literally it's literally hard to watch. <laughs> like literally with my own eyeballs, it's hard to watch. You have to like put your brightness at like a thousand. Um, but the one thing that I really liked about this film was that th- this film actually solidified my favorite character. Do you want to guess who my favorite character is? Hmm. Hagrid. Nope. I don't know who. Draco Malfoy. Oh yeah, I could have for oh, shit. Yeah, there's uh, he, he. There's a lot of good Draco story in this. This film solidified Draco Malfoy as my favorite 
character in the Harry Potter series. Yes, I am saying that on this podcast. Draco Malfoy is my favorite character in Harry Potter. That is because I think, personally, I think he is the deepest, or maybe not deepest, but I think he's one of the deeper characters in this story alongside Snape. And while I was watching this film in particular and Deathly Hallows Part 1, I was hoping and praying that we would get a Draco redemption arc, sort of like Zuko in The Last Airbender. And we do have that in a deleted scene, which I'll get to later. And even though we don't quite get it, I think he was always on that knife's edge in these last three films. He was on that knife's edge of wanting to do the right thing and wanting to be a good person. But fear of Voldemort and, you know, hurting his family sort of kept him away from that. But I think you see glimpses of Draco wanting to do the right thing, of Draco wanting to help Harry Potter. But he just couldn't because he was so scared of his situation. I think at the end of the day, you know, the saying is you're defined by your actions and the things you don't do. And I think the two main things for Draco, while he is a huge piece of shit as like a person in the first five films, you know, he's like a racist bully while he's a little kid. But I think when he hits this film, he hits a point in his life where he reevaluates his morals. Yes. And his sort of stance on like bro like I'm a piece of shit person like I definitely shouldn't be thinking like this because those values that you see in the first four films you know the racism and him calling Hermione a mudblood and all that stuff you know that all comes from his family and the death eaters that he was raised with you know those values I think were hammered into him to the point where he didn't really like you know he wasn't thinking for himself you know how little edge you know how edgelord kids are you know Yes. Yeah. They always want to say something to shock someone. But I think at this point... There's a lot of self-doubt in Draco Malfoy in this film that takes a turn. And and that's it's like he realizes, like, I'm... Like, he realizes, like, I shouldn't be... This is not right. Yeah. And then I think at this film, like, uh, when he goes to kill Dumbledore and you sort of see during the the film, like, you sort of see the doubt in him sort of... You know, do I want to go through with this? Should I go through with this? I think at a certain point, he doesn't sort he of, say like I have to do this. Yeah, he said. Yeah, he sort of says like I have to do this, and I think it it just boils down to one him being fucking f- terrified of Voldemort because honestly, like who wouldn't be if they were in yeah, this situation? Everyone is, and him sort of, you know, trying to prove, you know, that him and his family aren't, you know, Push-overs. failures. Yeah, they, that they aren't pushovers, you know? Like, his fa- his father was sent to Azkaban for being outed as a Death Eater. Basically, you know, he's... <laughs> his back is against the wall. He can't really do anything. Voldemort yeah. picked him. If he doesn't go through with this, he's most likely dead. So he doesn't really have, you know, a choice. But again, I think he, at a certain point in this film, he sort of matures. And I think he sort of regrets his actions in the first four films. I think if Draco Malfoy just has better people surrounding him and better friends, I think he ends up a good person. I think if he has a friend group like Ron and Hermione 
instead of Crab a and Goyle. A strong supporting cast. A strong supporting cast. I think he turns out a good person. Totally. And I, 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 I'd like to believe, at least headcanon, uh, that he does turn out to be a good person. I mean, you kind of see that little... Um, yeah, at the end of the Deathly Hallows part two, he sort of gives a know, little nod to Harry. A little nod to Harry, where it's like you know, like respect kind of thing. And I think Harry kind of like gives him like a little smile. Um, I, I would like to think that he realizes what he's, you know, the piece of shit that he was, and and overcomes it. Yeah, and you know, he he was just a child manipulated into you know a certain set of beliefs, which is you know millions of people who are like that in the real world. I kind of want to get into something, but I'm going to wait until we get to Deathly Hallows Part 2. But I'll, I'll kind of like touch on it for a second. I like how the movies depict Slytherins, at least the, the first couple of them, Slytherins to be evil bad guys. I hate that. I hate it. I, I, know, I hate it too, but I feel like this is the movie where you start, like with, when you see Draco's self-doubt and going forward, you, it starts to change that a little bit. And I think that they shove that Slytherins are bad guys thing down your throat because that's what Harry sees. Especially in the second, in uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2. Yeah. They literally send sees. them all to the dungeon. <laughs> um, but um, I, I think... But I think this is like where that changes a little bit because obviously Draco has this self-doubt and I think you re- like he realizes and, and, and the audience realizes with him that... He's like, dude, like, 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 I'm not this guy. Like, I don't want to do this. This is, I'm not a bad person. Yeah, and like, I mean, like I said, he's he's on that knife's edge, you know, but he just doesn't know what to do. He's confused. He's scared, and for a child his age, that's fine. You know, not everyone is a Harry Potter. Not everyone is a is a Neville Longbottom, who literally are two children of the prophecy, or Neville could have been. You know, not everyone is a Hermione or a Ron, you know, it's if someone like Draco in, in that position, you know, like it's sympathetic in a way, you know, I yeah. feel I, ge- I genuinely feel for him. Totally. Um, he does. Um, Tom Felton. Um, that's his name, right? Wonderful. Yeah. Great Tom job. Does a wonderful job of really every movie conveying the inner struggle of because Draco. Totally. Because in the first two movies, like he's literally just a dude or first three. He's literally just a douchebag. He's like, literally he's just, such a, yeah, he's just a he's bully. He's just an he's asshole. Dick. He's just an asshole. That's all he played. They literally was like, yo, shove and be a dickhead, be a bully. And he's like, all right, cool. And he does that perfectly well. And then these movies are like, all right, bro, you got to change it up a little bit. Show some self-doubt, you know, show the struggle that you're fighting within yourselves. And mm-hmm. he fucking does it so well. Like, I'm honestly surprised that we don't see him in more things. Like, I feel like he does a really great job as, mm-hmm. as Draco. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, I'm going to stop talking about Draco because I've been talking about him for a while. But, um... I'm just gonna fly through this this Half-Life Prince. Um, Dumbledore's death actually hits surprisingly, you know, pretty hard. You know, you've seen him in all the other films. He he's had a pretty important part in this film and the one before that. You know, and obviously seeing the sort of mentor-like figure in these sort of fi- in these sort of hero journey films, like in Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, when Obi Wan and Gandalf die. You know those scenes are always very poignant especially for for the main character like harry um all in all the film was was good you know it doesn't stand up so well on its own but during a binge it's perfectly fine i agree um so i guess how i looked at it when i was you know growing up watching these movies and all that stuff uh there's two reasons to why snape chooses to kill dumbledore one i would say one like we were just saying i think snape 
realizes the struggle that Draco's going well, through, and and he doesn't, doesn't choose. Want him. He doesn't choose to kill Dumbledore. You talking about Snape or Draco? Snape, Snape. No, he was asked to. Yeah, yeah. Dumbledore. No, Dumbledore tells him like, "Yo, you got to yeah, kill, kill me. me. You can't let Draco kill me." I don't yeah, think yeah, Draco would have killed. I don't think Draco would have killed him anyway. Though. I don't. Th- I'm saying like, even if Dumbledore doesn't say that, I don't. Th- I don't think Snape lets Draco kill him. Now, does I he? Agree. Does I he agree. kill? Does he kill Dumbledore? Uh, to stop him from doing that, maybe not. If 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 Dumbledore doesn't come out and say, "Yo, kill me," but um, I think there's like that was like two things in Snape's mind it was like one, I'm not gonna let Snape, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna let Draco, uh, take this next step. You know what I mean? I'm gonna stop him, and obviously I have to kill Dumbledore because that's what I'm being asked to. It's it's a lot of like building up and character development, um, or lack of of or it stops you know draco from going turning evil and snape fulfilling what uh dumbledore's wishes which obviously like when you watch this film you're like bro fuck snape i hate him worst character ever pretty yeah you don't know where he ends up yeah yeah when you watch that you're like damn like okay snape's fire (laughs) yeah definitely so going into deathly hallows part one i'm gonna try to make this one quick because it really definitely is a filler a filler movie uh, destroying Horcruxes, it's fine. It's probably the weakest of the series. Um, although there are a lot of like major plot developments, like destroying the Horcruxes and Voldemort getting the Elder One. Uh, I say it's the weakest of the series because this is definitely just setting up the second movie. Like literally, like it's if I this don't is really look at it as much as a setup. I I, I, I think there's a lot of great moments in this. Yeah, there are a lot of good moments, but. Watching it on its own, just like Half Foot Prince, watching this on its own, it doesn't hold up. Well, what like, sucks is that how this is like one book that they had to split up into. That's the only. I feel like that's why you probably feel like that. Yeah, yeah. You like, just you read first, the first half of a book. <laughs> yeah, it, it was bound to happen eventually. But yeah. I mean, that's you know, I have to rate the movies as, as for how I feel. You know, uh, so I would say that this on its own is the worst of the series. But in a binge, I think it holds up much better. And when um, we say the worst in a series, it's not like we're saying like this shit's ass. Like, oh no, it's, it's still, still really, movie. really, yeah, really yeah. good. Yeah, it's still a great film. Um, and then you get to Deathly Hallows Part Two, and you know, I was actually a little bit surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I wasn't really expecting to to enjoy everything from Goblet of Fire on, because I sort of had the whole young adult adaptation thing stuck in my head, like The Hunger Games like Maze Runner, like Jupiter Ascending, which ruined the genre, and obviously they're all inspired by Harry Potter. And the success of Harry Potter and the tone and the atmosphere that Harry Potter conveys, you could definitely see those influences on something like Hunger Games. Um, I wasn't really expecting to like them as much because of the whole, you know, grim, dark, teen angst sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I was actually, you know, pretty pleasantly surprised, especially by Deathly Hallows Part Two and how it manages to end the story uh there's definitely a lot of emotional weight in this film much more so than i i expected i think the score in this film is so good i mean i mean the scores in all the films are fantastic especially the john williams ones they're absolutely timeless but i think this one in particular just has a couple of moments Uh, i know the score was alexander desplat um he's done some great stuff yeah i think we've talked about it on the podcast before yeah i believe so um, but like with the scene where Harry goes to meet Voldemort in the Forbidden Forest, um, the scene where they're fighting in the courtyard, uh, those are all 
scenes accompanied by wonderful scores that really do elevate and you know capture the essence of the scene um it does a great job of ending the story and wrapping up loose ends however well i was really enjoying the film until the last 10 minutes or so oh i know you're gonna go with this i don't mind the way voldemort dies i think it's a little anticlimactic however you know i'm not expecting a big you know voldemort screaming as he you know evaporates and dies and drops dead you know i'm not expecting that because it's just a little cheesy but for something that's been built upon yes for seven films for something that has been for a moment that's been led up to for probably 18 hours because i know the whole harry potter uh if you sit and watch them all one day it's like 20 hours or something yeah, for something that's is, been built you know, upon for 19 of, of hours to have voldemort die the way he does and then have like five minutes of runtime left i think is a huge disservice to the story and i know a lot of characters yeah and the characters and i know a lot of and the fans and i know a lot of people or not a lot of people but one of the main things that people say about uh lord of the rings return of the king was how the film felt like it had like four different endings because obviously you know they destroy the ring and then you have the scene in rivendell where the fellowship comes back together and they celebrate and then you go to the Shire, and then you have the Hobbit's ending, and then you go to Gondor, and you have Aragorn's ending. And then you go back to the Shire again, and you have Gandalf's ending. I think in an epic like that, you need endings like that to wrap up loose ends and to bring a sense of closure to the story. And Lord of the Rings... Well, if you watch the theatrical editions, each one is about... I mean, if you watch the extended editions, each one's about, like, four hours long. That's 12 hours of runtime. Harry Potter has an additional eight on top of that. And the movie just sort of ends once Voldemort is killed. And for me, personally, it felt very, very unsatisfying. Like, literally, Voldemort ends. Harry walks down the courtyard. Like, the courtyard. He sees, you know, all the... Hogwarts wizards just sort of sitting there. No one yeah. is like congratulating him or celebrating him, which yeah, is like fine. Cheering, like, you know, or is, like, yo, good shit. <laughs> yeah. Hagrid just walks up to him, sort of hugs him. And then Harry, it's a scene change. Harry destroys the Elder Wand. And then it's 19 years later. But we don't really have closure. Like with the rest of our characters, like Neville, who literally dis- was one of the potential children of the prophecy who dist- who himself had a hand in destroying Voldemort, destroying his last horcrux. We don't really know, you know, what happens to him. We don't know what happens with Luna Lovegood. We don't know what happens with Hogwarts. What about, like, who the, becomes the, the remaining next Death Eaters that might still be alive? Yeah, what happens to the Malfoys? Mm-hmm. They just sort of run away. What happens to Professor McGonagall? Who, who becomes headmaster? I, I, you would never know that. Like, yeah. the movie I mean, just... I think J.K. Rowling has said it, but then it's like, I, I don't have to, like, 
I should have to it's Google not movie, J.K. Yeah, Rowling's exactly. fucking. What does she say after the movie or after the films and the books? Like, exactly. no, like I want to be. I want to be shown this. You have characters who are literally, like, literally there since the first film and integral to Harry's development, and they're just sort of left hanging. We don't really know what happens to them. Dude, the, the the world that we that we have, you know, dove into Hogwarts and all, and is it's destroyed. It's like half destroyed. I I would love to see something where it's like not them like rebuilding it, but like I would love to see like you know the aftermath of 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 Hogwarts and how the students and the professors all you know how they came together and 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 made it better again. You know, made Hogwarts great like. Perfect. Make Hogwarts great again. <laughs> Make Hogwarts. <laughs> um, bro, as I was saying it, I like that. Like for some reason, like wanted to come out, and I was like, that just doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah, I caught that. I caught it. That's why I said it. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I would love to see like the aftermath of Hogwarts. Like not just it to have destroyed, but how it gets like rebuilt again. How how it looks after. You know, there's a lot of things that they could have done. And then yeah, I totally like they kind of like just Voldemort dies and boom, we're done. And, like, it's weird because this film actually has one of the shorter runtimes in the series. It's, like, two hours and seven minutes, and that's including credits. You couldn't just put in, like, five minutes of, you know, like, epilogue or closure. Like, like before we go to the 19 years later, like, maybe fast forward two years later or a year later and show us, you know, McGonagall, if she is headmaster of Hogwarts, show us where Hagrid ends up. Good example. You know, like... You know what a good example is? Give us a little montage similar to Avengers Endgame. When you see Peter go back to school and hug uh, Ned. You see uh, uh, Ant-Man and, and the Wasp with, uh, with with his daughter. You get what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you get, like, the whole funeral scene. Everyone comes together. Like, everyone, it's like you kind of, like, I mean, that could have maybe been a little bit longer, too, but this movie was already three hours long. But, um... Something similar to that. Like, show us, like, a little montage of how like the they fans, all... At this point, the fans deserve it. Like, I don't mind yeah. sitting an extra five minutes to see where Dude, some of my favorite characters Dude, we waited 10 plus years for this. Up. Like, let's... You know what I mean? Like, give us an extra few minutes. Exactly. 100%. And now, again, I didn't read the, the book, so I don't know really how the book ends. I'm assuming it ends the same way. And I think that's a huge... I don't want to say a disservice, but I think that's a huge... Like, it's just so frustrating. Totally. You know, and, and as much as I loved this series and as much as I loved, you know, diving into it, I can't help but feel a little soured by that ending. I can't help but feel a little disappointed because I feel like I didn't really get the full closure that I was expecting I was going to get. For a story that's so monumental and epic, for it to just sort of end, and I don't want, I like, feel a little cheated, if I'm being yeah. honest. And I've had people tell me, and this is like a dumb argument where they're like, oh, well, you know, I guess the ending is open for interpretation. Like, no, that's, there's, that's not how these movies work. I'm that not doesn't work Inception. for these, yeah, that doesn't work for these This is a set story that has an ending. Like, let me see a longer ending. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just asking for five minutes of. Like, I'm not trying to watch the lighthouse and see, you know, what's actually going on, like. And, like try to make up theories like my interpretation yeah i'm not like, trying to sit, figure out if leo dicaprio's you know spinner falls or not <laughs> you know what i mean like like i just want a set ending and i want to know how everything came to be did everything go back to normal 
I hope so. Did every or better? You know what I mean? Like, but mm-hmm. we'll never know. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. So again, as much as I loved the series, which I really did, it's the ending. It's not disappointing. Really it's just like me. fuck. I wish you could just tweak that a little bit. I mean, for me, honestly, I would say it was disappointing. The last just ten minutes, you know, like. It's, Voldemort dies, they destroy the Elder One, and then just 19 years later, and then it's, hey, we're, my kids are going to Hogwarts. Look at Ron, Harry, and Hermione. They're still friends and fucking, like, 50 years old. And a a like, gripe of mine is is how, like, easily Harry breaks the Elder One. He just, like, snaps it. It's, like, like the most powerful thing ever in his hands, and he just, like, snaps it, and he's like, all right, peace. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like, this thing, like, like is, is, like, ridiculously strong. Um, But, yeah, so all in all... I really liked. Okay, I'm not gonna say I really liked. I, honestly, I loved the series. I, you know, I, it's up there, man. It's fan, up there. As a fantasy fan, uh, you know, I loved it. I loved this world that they build, especially in the first three films. Um, it's easy, you know, to sort of fall in love with it. Um, I just wish some things were handled better, like Sirius's death. If I was J.K. Rowling, you know, I don't have any complaints about Draco's character. But just personal preference, I wish he had a proper redemption. Um, you know, it's fine that he didn't get it. You know, not everyone needs a redemption. Not everyone is Zuko. But, you know, just personally, I just wish it happened. Um, Sirius' death, I wish, you know, Lupin's death didn't happen off screen. I, oh, my God. I was pretty disappointed So Lupin is probably my favorite character. Really? Yeah, I love Lupin, man. And I, that was one death that I'm like, they kind of just like, oh, yeah, Lupin's dead. Or did they show his body? I you don't know. See, you see his body for like a couple seconds. I would and love then to you see, see like, and then you how see his he ghost. died, though. You see his ghost at the Forbidden Forest. Yeah. That, um, I, I love that, that scene, by the way. The Forbidden Forest stuff. That was good. That was some good stuff. So, just a, a quick recap, I guess. My favorite film, definitely Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, favorite character? Draco Malfoy. Definitely Draco. And um, I sort of really dislike the sort of bad rap that Slytherin gets as being like, you know, these evil Nazis, you know, scum of Hogwarts thing. I think they're really misrepresented in the books. I mean, in the films. Yeah, and you could definitely tell that they're trying to, like, fix it at the end where Harry's like, oh, well, Snape was a Slytherin. He wasn't so bad. Yeah, but it's like, dude, literally every other Slytherin is like a huge piece of I, shit. Like, I've been, like I've been force fed, like fed to think that Slytherins are terrible. Like, like Coyle literally tries to kill Hermione in part two, and Draco actually says like no, and then literally in when Voldemort, you know, basically tells everyone like, yo, give me Harry Potter, you have one hour. The Slytherins literally say, like, yo, what are we waiting for? Let's grab him. And then McGonagall sends them to the dungeon. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, what the... F-? Like, dude, like, t- this is fucking terrible. Like, Slytherins aren't that bad. Like The only Slytherin that was, like, not a bad person, other than, like, I guess, Snape, uh, was Slughorn, which is the uh, defense against the Dark Arts. Or, no, the Potions Professor. I'm sorry. I don't even think for, they ever um, mention he's a fucking Slytherin. Yeah, they do. They do? Yeah, he's he. they mention it, I think, in one of the flashbacks. Okay, but um, but yeah, he's like the only Slytherin that you're like, okay, you know, he's they're not so terrible, like, cause he's a, he's a good guy, um, but yeah, I don't know, it's just uh, that's definitely a gripe of mine too. I, I wish Slytherins uh were depicted better. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's definitely falls in line with my views. But all in all, I love the series. It's a series that you know I, I 
definitely see myself watching again. Um, made me really want to go to uh, Wizarding World of Harry Potter, which I'm definitely doing as soon as this quarantine ends. Super down to go with you. Um, Bro, I've gone there okay, like I ice. I'm not inviting you. <laughs> wow. I'm just kidding. Come with and we can have a Wanda showdown. <laughs> no. Um, so when I went to UCF, I had a... Uh, I had a annual pass for Universal, and I pro- I, th- I think I won, like, a total of, like, 18 times because it was, like, 20 minutes away from my apartment. And, like, dude, like, it, it's still, like, just going to that Harry Potter world is still has, like, a magical feeling to it, even after, like, I've gone a million times. It's similar to people that go to Disney World all the time. You yeah. go to Disney World, and you're still, like, you still feel it. You know what I mean? I go to D- some I have people an don't, annual but pass some people Disney do. World. What's up? I have an annual pass to Disney World. Exactly. So... Um, Harry Potter that like they do like they do such a great job of that Harry Potter world. So if you're listening to this and you have not gone to Harry Potter world and you're a huge Harry Potter fan, I highly recommend it. I've only been to Harry Potter world like once when I was like an. You couldn't grade. appreciate it. Yeah, I went with like it was like a small group of us, and I remember they were like fawning over. Like, oh, this is this from the film. This is this. This is this. There's a lot this of tiny details room. in there. And I was just there sort of like, I mean, yeah, everything looks cool, but I don't really have a connection to this. So now I'm really interested in going back. and One um, one thing that they do really well is they obviously sell all the wands for each character and, and other characters. Yeah, I looked through really... them already. Yeah, so they have two versions, though. So they'll have the regular one that's just, you know, the, the, the stick that's really, like, nicely designed. And then they'll have the exact same thing for the second one, but the second one has like a little chip or something inside of it that when you're holding it and you, they have like little black tiles on the floor throughout the entire Harry Potter world that if you take your wand there and like, you know, do some like little, you know, spell with your, with your wand in your hand, something will happen like in the window of what you're looking at. That's fucking dope. Yeah. So it's like interactive with with the wands like it's it's so it's so dope it's so good like cool they do fun. a really good job there man that's why if you go and you have a, like if you have the money i would highly recommend buying like a wand like those wands and doing that shit definitely something to to look at so i think that just about wraps up this episode we've gone pretty long but we did talk about eight films so i'd say yeah. honestly in the time frame we did it not too bad with eight films and a little a little tiny bit of a of the uh, some of the books yeah and and fucking wizarding world of harry potter not bad yeah um thank you guys for listening catch us next week because we are going to be reviewing a film next week uh, i believe we're going to be reviewing extraction the new uh, netflix movie with chris hemsworth which actually looks uh, pretty interesting so definitely keep an eye out for that it's going to be a pretty good episode i think um uh yeah peace out